Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down Three dead. Three women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. Simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. Life will not be contained. Life breaks free. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I'm Jen Hansen, and sitting across from me is the Niffler's favorite jewel, Miss Charlotte Martinez. Aww. Do you understand what that means? I do. <laughs> There's a creature in Fantastic Beasts. Oh. The first one we're introduced to, in fact. Oh. And the first one to escape the briefcase. Ooh. And he likes shiny objects. Oh. That are really expensive, apparently. Yeah. Because he always goes after, like, jewels. Right? Jewels and, right. and well, like, coins, I guess. Gold and, yeah, coins. Yeah. And what an interesting concept for a creature to begin with. It's like, hey, you know humans, how they always want treasure? <laughs> There's this creature that does too, except he's more aggressive about it. And it's funny when we see him doing it. I'm assuming it's a him. Is that sexist? But it's not as fun when you see people doing it. No, it's not. Because they have like poor intentions where he's just like a hoarder. Right. You know, he's got a nest and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take all these jewels out of my stomach. Mm-hmm. Just laying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dive into it. Have fun with it. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was our choice for the first movie slash screenplay to talk about after Aristotle. Because I think we kind of agreed it was a good example of a well-written story that was then translated to the screen. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Um, I think it made a lot of sense for us to do this one because we're also doing the second one and probably the third one when it comes out because I feel like this actually is a really great example of how you know how we can lose things in translation but also it's such a fun and interesting film to watch that it's one of those movies where you want to read the script or I want to read the script because I want to know where that magic is yeah quite literally and also figuratively (laughs) Um, between the two and it's funny because i we just looked it up the last harry potter movie was released 2011 mm-hmm. and then fantastic beasts came out 2016 that's only five years yeah but it seems like a long time just because harry potter was such a phenomenon and it still is like kids even coming up as they're reading their reading level are like yeah we start with harry potter now right I'm like, what since when <laughs> i think it's great i think yeah. that's great um so this reboot there's a lot of attention on it yeah and the first one i was really surprised because i think i had a i had expectations for the first one so when i watched it i i felt disappointed which was interesting okay because by the time my brother had bought the movie and i watched it again i had that inkling where i was like hmm something is working really well though and i can't tell what it is so i watched it like a second time a third time (laughs) i remember every time i was watching it i was like whoa this movie is really well written as a reboot as new characters in the same universe as like the relationship developments i think i was just i was so 
in the, the realm of Harry Potter that this was so different, but it, it needed to be. It needed to be what it was. Yeah. So in this weird like turn of events, I was like, oh my God, this is now my favorite movie because I had this long relationship with it. So I think that's why, to me, it's important that I, that I talk about what changed yeah um, and why it, i think it works well yeah and I'm, i definitely want to hear your thoughts on the script versus the film as well right right like there's a lot of interesting things there or not yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i might because uh, strangely enough i maybe because i've seen the movie too many times that i i didn't find too many too many things that didn't correspond mm. maybe like three things that stood out in the screenplay where i was like oh i didn't see that in the movie Mm. Um, otherwise, I kept picturing the movie Interesting. <laughs> as I was reading it. Cool. So I think we'll talk about why, because your experience was a little different. Which is really funny to me because you're, you know, we're that's usually our roles. I'm the film person. You're the book person. I think in this case, we're probably reversed. Oh, interesting. Which is kind of fun. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a few things on Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Mm-hmm. The first one being my theory that there are two plots in the movie that then become one. And that includes conflict, what characters want, what gets in their way of getting what they want. And then we'll talk about what we think about some relationships between the characters. Yes. Um, and then we're going to single out a few of them, including yes. Jacob and the joys of Jacob. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Tina. And Tina. And um, not the joys of Tina. <laughs> I was gonna say, not I, not joy, but right. not joy. We may have some thoughts on how she could have been uh, written better. Yes. And then, of course, we're gonna have the Jen segment. Oh, <laughs> Wait, I really want to know how to label this segment because it's gonna be so cool. We're gonna oh delve <laughs> into gender studies in a way, I guess, of totally. the film. Yeah. As far as what like representation and some roles that maybe took new turns or didn't take new turns or tell me about that Jen. <laughs> I'd be happy to share. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about gender specifically in this one female gender. That sounds weird. Women <laughs> um and female roles, I guess I want to say. And then the other part of it we'll be talking about LGBTQ and how they're represented in in this script and movie and in general. Yeah. By by J.K. Rowling and her crew. Yeah, there's some deep themes that are that were kind of sprinkled throughout Harry Potter that I think she's finally bringing out. Even though I hear that she's kind of denying that. I'm not actually following any of that. Yeah, but Twitter is a scary place. <laughs> well, but also like if I'm getting a sense of it and I'm not on Twitter, like right. that's that means something. That means it's there whether she likes it or not. So yes. let's talk about it. Exactly. That's exactly the point. So thank you. You're welcome. Specifically, what we'll be talking about in terms of the material is the film, how it looked on screen, basically what what we got from it on the screen version, and then also the script version, which I will refer to. I might say this made sense in the script, but not in the film. Sure. Um, I would like to hear that because I, I did try. I did try to read it separately. It just didn't happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I definitely marked the parts where I was very shocked that this didn't come across in the movie. Okay, cool. Um, so I can definitely, you know, get out my book for those moments. Cool, cool. But if it's okay, we're going to start with uh, my theory of two plots. Yes. And how they turn into one. Woo. 
and conjunction. What is I have no idea. There's like the news meets something else. It's like royalty, I don't know. Um But yeah, I'm gonna talk about it in conjunction of what the characters' mission statements are, uh, quote-unquote mission statements is cool. what I'm calling them. And I'm going to mention a little bit of Aristotle's terms again, starting right away, <laughs> because I came up with an action idea of sorts nice. for Fantastic Beasts. Cool. And I actually forced myself not to look up other versions of it. Good. I wanted to see if I could just do it. Do you want to explain real quickly? Uh, Aristotle, well, Mikey T., is the author of Aristotle's Poetics for Screenwriters specifically, which is one of our reference books now. And he defined mission, not mission statement, that's my that's term. That's your term. <laughs> which I totally should coin, by the way. Yeah, you should. Um, it's way better. I Right? Doesn't it feel like, yeah. you know, Exactly. That's exactly statement. the, like, gesture I was trying not to do, which is, like, your fist raised, you know? Right. Like, what's the mission? <laughs> I mean, he calls it action idea, which is kind of cool, too. You know, it has action in it. And an idea. We all love those. Yeah. They're really stupid. Anyway. <laughs> but it's basically what drives the plot forward. And it in the statement, you include the hero type, whoever's doing the most action. You include what they want, what's preventing them from getting what they want. And it, remind me if this is true, doesn't it end with kind of like, oh, the the thing that makes us want to go out and read it or watch it or was that something else um is that a log line Maybe i think I'm that's thinking. more like the log line yeah you're i right. think the action idea is really f- like a producer-y sort of thing that's right yeah a log line is more for like a pitch right, right. when you're trying exactly. to sell the story i mean yeah that's what i think anyway i don't know if that's very really true cool yeah i might have done a little bit of log line either i like it <laughs> i like it like... log lines are more fun anyway right action ideas can get kind of tedious so. right because that's more of a study rather than you know oh we want your interest so exactly. listen to this cool log line yeah. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit of both. Cool, I like it. So I'm assuming with this statement that people kind of know the Harry Potter universe already. 1926, New York. Wizard officials, or Makusa, are threatened with exposure after a dark wizard, Grindelwald, wages war against muggles. Though Grindelwald has disappeared, unexplained attacks continue in the form of a destructive magical force called an Obscurus, which only a caregiver to fantastic beasts, Newt, can begin to understand i love that that was great thank you it's like i never even read it now i want to read it or watch it (laughs) good okay and it gives you like the place and the date and right america 20s magic problems (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you get that cool sense of like the 20s styles flappers and jazz and and all the clothes that they wear and the cars driving in the street yeah Yeah. it would have been so cool if they gave us a little bit more of that I would have yeah. liked a little bit more of it. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, there are times. I th- I think the score really works well, though, for that reason. Yes. You can very tell. Very true. Right? Yes. I think that's just because I love the movie Chicago, that I just want to, like, see Velma Kelly and Roxy <laughs> down the street <laughs> singing at their club. You know what oh I mean? Oh, my gosh. That's true. <laughs> I think, in, yeah, there's, there's times where they even, like, show headlines or show, like, jazz shops you know like the, yes. the emergence of jazz is everywhere yes. but you're right i could have done with more of that actually yeah. and then before i start talking about this i do want to kind of clarify because i didn't understand this either there's two terms for the obscurus oh um and that's going to be like the main conflict there's the idea that the obscurus is the actual parasite force it's the thing that attaches itself 
or grows within the person. Okay. Right. But the person who's the host of the Obscurus is called the Obscurial. Oh. That's why I make this um, announcement now. Oh. Okay. My theory of two plots comes from what I think are the conflicts. But first, in order to understand plot for me, I have to identify conflict. But to identify conflict, I identify what the characters want and then what's preventing them from getting what they want. Nice. So my premise on this is that there are then two hero types rather than just Newt Scamander, who's who's the good hero, which is great. But because Graves is who I consider the bad hero, because his mission is so apparent on the screen and it causes them a lot of action as much as Newt's actions do, I, would, I was thinking like, well, Aristotle defines hero by the person who's driving the action the most. Mm. And I'm like, well, you know, in the movie, we're following both missions. Right. And one is fighting the other. So why not consider him a hero? Because in his mind, he is. Graves is, um, is his own hero because he thinks what he's doing is very much right. Interesting. Um, okay. So their mission statements. So I'm going to give a spoiler here because everybody has to know. In order for this to make sense, you have to know that Graves is actually Grindelwald in disguise. I don't even know what to call it. What's the spell <laughs> that they use to... Uh... Ask Google. Oh, damn it. I don't All know these Google Harry Potter fans but... are like, how can you... Polyjuice 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 Potion? Polyjuice Polyjuice Potion? That's, yeah, that's what the guy with the cane in the eye used, right? Yeah. Mad Eye. Yeah. yeah. Is that what we're assuming? Is like... I... Oh, I didn't really think about it, but... Oh, but... Right? Because don't they like talk about it a little bit more in the second one? I Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm assuming because we, we weren't introduced to any other type of way of concealing oneself as somebody else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's what I'm going to assume he's using. Yeah. Is that Good. kind of potion. I like that assumption. Okay, cool. So yeah, Graves slash Grindelwald is the dark wizard that everybody's talking about uh, who wants to wage war against muggles. And his reasons, I think, are coming up more and more, especially in the second one, but... Basically, he's he's not content with hiding uh, magic anymore, and he thinks they're the superior race anyway. So why continue to have this all hidden from muggles? So anyway, he can kind of bring it up violently, I may add. He's going to try to do... Hitler. <coughs> yeah, very much a Hitler type, actually. You're absolutely right. And he's gathering followers that don't... That don't I mean, they're not friends. They're followers. And we see that he's kind of a psychopath anyway, that he, he doesn't need friends. He needs followers. Glad you said that. We're going to talk more about that later. Ooh, ooh, more to come. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so in summary, his mission statement is he wants to find the Obscurus, not not even the child host, but the Obscurus force in order to use it in his coming war against Muggles. Right? Does that seem like correct? Yeah. Overall? Um, Graves is trying to find the force, which is the Obscurus, because that will benefit him and his cause. Absolutely. In, in a big way, I assume. We don't really get told how, but I assume it's a pretty strong reason. Otherwise, right. why the hell are we here? Right. It's interesting to think about him not as necessarily what you would call an antagonist, but as a, quote, bad hero. Right. You know, like it's a little bit of a shift and I kind of like it. It makes me feel, it makes it feel less black and white, um, which I think in any story is nice when things feel a little grayer, just because it makes it more, feel more, more realistic. Exactly. Yeah. Because, and we've talked about this before, how poorly written villains I mean, you don't you don't feel any empathy. If you can feel empathy for a villain, 
then you know you're you're writing a good story yeah um because even the audience themselves are like oh oh i can't believe i just felt sympathy for them like yeah. oh i must be a bad person too and suddenly you're questioning questioning your own morals mm -hmm. so if, if you can be somewhat confused i guess <laughs> yeah that's, that's no you know. it's good <laughs> Because you're right, it's gray area. It's, it's yeah. meant to be confusing right. um, and debated and talked about. Oh, so Credence. Okay. So this this I also want to hear from you too. From watching the movie a few times, I'm still not quite sure what Credence wants entirely. But knowing what's happened to him so far, that he, he suspects he has a witch mother or maybe he's been told that he's had a mother who was a witch. Um, and then he's been abused by the, the family that has taken him in, which they call themselves the Second Salemers. They're totally anti-magic and to extreme measures, they're anti-magic, including like the abuse of children, including Credence, Credence himself from his own mother or his adoptive mother. And he keeps telling Graves when they see each other is, is when can I start learning magic? Mm -hmm. So possibly what he wants is to learn magic to escape this kind of life? Or I, I need to hear thoughts because I'm not sure if that's entirely it. I Yeah, I uh, it's a big question. But I think to sparse it down to the very smallest point is he wants to be able to escape his situation. Right. He's not only mistreated by Mary Lou, who runs the second Salemers, but by other people that we see in the film um, and, and obviously in the script. Um, people who push him around or discount him or lack of a I just in my notes I kept putting like here's another person that shits on him you know yeah he's abused to no end right and it's interesting it's a very interesting choice and I think I understand what the point was in that I mean on JK's part but um I think as a character yeah he wants to escape more than anything else um, because we see that he also cannot handle his own emotions right Hence the development of the Obscurus. Right? Is that like a... Did we already say that? That it's a spoiler? Yep. No. <laughs> no did we already like say that part? Like oh. that's what that is. Oh, no, I didn't. Do you want to go ahead and explain that real quick? Sure. Yeah. Thank go you. <laughs> yeah, I need to start like taking the time to like explain which parts <laughs> we're talking about. I'm like, you've watched it. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah, the Obscurus, according to um, the laws of this universe, is... This unpracticed magic in magical people, when suppressed, is it grows kind of like a like a parasite. Like I said before, it, yeah. it's like a really bad sickness because you're just keeping it in all the time, and that's what happens when you, I guess, hide magic to extremes. Right, um, which is a great metaphor. It is it's a great metaphor. There's a lot of psychology in this, whether or not J.K. meant to do that. Right, it's debatable, but and it's and it's amazing that the the force that comes out of it is just pure destruction or what they believe is pure destruction exactly um, because we're going to find out later and Newt's connection to this conflict of the obscurus is that he's studying it as more than that and i was really intrigued by that by the way even though there wasn't that much said about it yeah um but it, I, it's oh. a very interesting thought right i mean especially if you interpret it as a metaphor then it's i mean it makes sense that something like that would cause issues because that's what causes issues when you suppress things they right. come out in other ways and then it's very destructive for everyone around you right um and it is interesting to see new as sort of a study stu he wants to study it right which i think also has great implications if you're looking at it from that metaphor I'm like, yeah, man, you're like totally a psychologist in this situation. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of psychology going on here. Mm -hmm. It's it's excellent. I, I'm looking forward to, yeah, yeah. What, you, what you have to say about all that. Because I'm kind of looking in terms of plot, which is very, very surface level. I mean, it's surface level in terms of other categories. 
I'm just like, how does this work as a story? I But see, I, I think you're wrong. I think that it's not surface. I think that's the problem. Uh, All these movies that we've been seeing that have been really bad, not even like, oh, that was kind of bad. It was like, no, that was bad. Is <laughs> because they don't have a basic concept of that. Uh, it seems like it should be basic, but it's, it's apparently not. It's an art that people seem to be losing. Right, right. So I wouldn't ever say that personally. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, I do try to... To see what, like, what, why I think it doesn't work. Because I'm like, maybe I'm wrong and everybody else is right. Like, maybe the formula is just changing. But then I talk to people and they, they don't have the, the same catharsis as they had with well-written story. That looked really cool. Yeah, that's like, what I get instead. Really? <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed the graphics. <laughs> Good God. Fight like, scenes. <laughs> like, read, I don't know, read a comic book or, like, I mean, I guess there's still a place for that, but... It shouldn't be what defines the genre or any genre or any medium right. on how how cool it looks. Because right. in like five years, it's going to look really bad. That's how <laughs> graphics tend to work. So, um, I guess I also want to mention then, if you haven't seen the film, Graves works for um, the authorities of New York. Makusa is the... Which is very close to the Yakuza. What's that? That's like the really horrible uh, gang in Japan. Or China, sorry. I didn't know that. On the eastern continent. Yeah. The Yakuza, they make a lot of, like, fun, not they, people make a lot of fun films, like, that are really violent and fighty about the Yakuza because they're, like, the mob. Oh, interesting. Do you think that was a conscious choice there? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't see a whole lot of eastern influence in this book. Okay. But it was just a coincidence because they are yeah. initials rather than the actual name. Right. Um, and right. I was going to say, I actually don't know what they stand for. It's like magical. magical. <laughs> I looked it up at one point. Um, University <laughs> of Art and Design. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> right. And But they just keep calling it Makusa throughout the movie. So that's kind of what I just started calling it. But anyway, so he's he's disguised as an aura in Makusa. Right. Uh, but then we find out later that it's actually not Graves at all. It's Grindelwald. And I think he has been the whole time is what we're assuming because yeah. we weren't told otherwise. We didn't see anything different. So right. agreed. So it makes sense that he's playing this this disguised role because he wants to see what his enemies are doing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he's trying to find this weapon that he knows is in New York. And so I think, uh, you know, just to say it explicitly that the Obscurus belongs to some degree to Credence that it's a part of Credence, and he's the one that's creating it and doesn't know he's creating it. Right. Oh, and that Grindelwald, I just want to mention that Grindelwald is a character from Harry Potter. Um, I don't know. Did you already mention that? I'm so sorry. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, we can go into the backstory of Grindelwald. I didn't want to go too far, just because we keep saying Grindelwald like we all know who it is. Um, but Well, at this point, we actually don't, though. It's true. It's um, true. I meant, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. well, right, right. Yeah. I mean, just as an FYI, um, viewers... I'm like myself included. I still didn't know. Let's say I didn't look up what who Grindelwald was, mm-hmm. uh, and I had just seen the first film. Uh-huh. All I would know is what the headlines, the animated headlines, kind mm-hmm. of explained at the beginning, which mm-hmm. is there's this dark wizard that's waging war, and he's gathering followers, and he he seems to be a threat both in the U.S. and Europe. That's exactly right. That's but, exactly what you want to know. Right, right. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought that up because I think they should also know and in depth who Grindelwald is and why he's important to the Harry Potter universe. 
No, you, because you were going to say it. <laughs> I was actually going to say what you just said. Oh. Um, just that, like, we know of him through Harry Potter. That's where we first are introduced to him. So if you are a fan of Harry Potter, however, you probably know a little bit more history about Grindelwald and his connections with um, the Harry Potter characters we do know. Like, uh, <laughs> Dumbledore, like Dumbledore. Like Dumbledore, yeah. Yeah, right. uh, yeah that, that he, Grindelwald and Dumbledore met when they were both at Hogwarts uh, many years before this film as young men who had a relationship together, which JK explained to viewers after the Harry Potter series was written and finished. Then she revealed that she felt that Dumbledore and Grindelwald were actually like in love as opposed to the relationship they had that was mentioned in the Harry Potter books. It's a little confusing, but that's another issue with JK that people are having. But so that Grindelwald and Dumbledore, according to this now, they they had some sort of romantic relationship. We don't know the details. We barely even see anything from it. It's sort of a great little gimmick at this point, but there's nothing behind it yet. It, it should be interesting. If, if it's been talked about for this long, then we should see it come back and it should hold some importance. If not, it's just like a fun little fake out. I don't know what you would call it. We're looking, I mean, just for me, I'm looking for good representation, not misrepresentation mm-hmm. and not poor representation because that adds to the problem. Right. So if it, if hopefully it comes back around and we, we actually see why that matters um, in terms of the story. Oh, I agree so much. <laughs> You're holding so, your face. <laughs> there's so much potential there mm-hmm. and it, it, it opens up a whole layer of, of a really well-developed relationship because these these men are super powerful in their universe in the Harry Potter universe because people like really respect them their magic is supposed to be like one of some of the best um, in it's both like Gandalf terms. style. Yeah. Like it, kind of, though. Of Gandalf. They're the wise old men. One mm-hmm. being, like, completely crazy and, and <laughs> you know, terrible, but the other one being the Bad other crazy. side. crazy. <laughs> right. And it, I mean, it's if, if it goes, if we, if we take it back far enough, it's kind of the old argument of God versus Satan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Best friends until one falls, or what we assume is the fall. God and Satan were lovers at one point. That'd be interesting. <laughs> so sorry, everybody. <laughs> but but you mean there's like a there's a duality there. Right. But and I'm and you're right. I think it's more interesting if they were in love because that's Definitely. that's even more of an extreme fall. Right. For them. Where was I going with that? Sorry. Oh, that he's that Grindelwald is then our connection to to Dumbledore and the universe that we are familiar with. Yes. Which is I think a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah agreed. So yes, Graves slash Grindelwald is searching for the Obscurus this whole time. That's plot number one. And in doing so, he's using the help of Credence, who is his one ally. On the other side of the spectrum, however, our good hero, Newt Scamander, is known at this point just as as a beast owner. He has a briefcase full of magical creatures that we know he loves and that he gives care to. I was going to say, he's no Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) I mean, he's not like some buff dude in like a alligator hat <laughs> with like tooth teeth around his neck you know he's I'm, very much the, the studious type right right and even the way she described him well in the this is a difference in the screenplay um because you can't say this on screen uh, yeah but it, he's he she says uh keaton-esque he he's like this kind of wanderer slash keaton-esque god um, i love explorer that. type you know yeah and he he always has good intentions 
I love that change of the hero type because we're so used to a hero being a fighter, masculine, a lover. I mean, there's all of these tropes that come with what we imagine now as the like the American hero. Buff. Yeah, and buff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Let's just say blonde. He is blonde, but it's he's... not in a like gross blonde. He's not like Ken, the Barbie Ken. Right. And he's not like super much. He's not even, he's Big. not even like, <laughs> well, yeah. He's kind of small framed. I mean that in a nice way. Yeah. Actually, that's true. And I was going to argue, I know Harry Potter wasn't either, but Harry Potter was much more man- well, manly. I don't know what Masculine. Call it. Masculine. Excuse me. That's <laughs> He was much more masculine in that his intentions were always to i mean not to like dominate anything or to have power because we do see that he he um is better than that too but i think tempted yeah i mean there's something very different when somebody becomes a caregiver that it's never about them and it's never about getting ahead um he's always about taking care of others which is such a great change Mm -hmm. so knowing that so he wants to retrieve his magical creatures not only to protect them but to hide them from their illegal presence in the city that was another headline that happened pretty quickly at the beginning, but it said uh, beasts have been banned from the U.S. So we know that him having the creatures with him is illegal. And then once they escape, of course, him being the mother type, he's like, oh, my God, my kids. Like, I have to go get my kids. So I think that's what drives his conflict forward is his needing to retrieve his creatures. And nothing else really at this point, I think, matters to him. At least we don't see see anything else mattering to him. Yeah, yeah. But I think his task is so genuine that he actually, he gathers a lot of allies. Even if he doesn't mean to, there's people that that are are drawn to his mission and to him, even though he doesn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And this makes sense because his friend Jacob is first drawn into this mission because he's been hurt by one of the creatures. And because Newt is a caregiver, he's not just going to leave him. Therefore, Jacob is kind of drawn in. Unlike Graves, Newt is able to gather more allies on his mission statement, which I makes which makes him, in my mind, the good hero. Because if you can make allies, it means that I think what you're trying to accomplish is more appreciated by the people around you. Definitely. So then talking about the allies that Newt does gain, um, I kind of wanted to share what mission statements I had for them as well and why it fits into Newt's mission statement. Tina who's a demoted or mm-hmm. an or hopes that she if that she reports the illegal presence of Newt's creatures she might get her title back but I'm not sure if that's entirely true either because we'll talk about how her character might have been poorly written yes but I do think that that's accurate right I mean it changes later obviously right I think that her initial mission is definitely that and her sister does mention I mean in defense of what you just said <laughs> her <laughs> sister does mention that she's the career girl quote unquote the career girl career girl right which makes me think that yeah most of what she wants at the time is to climb the ladder back up a bit right do we know why she didn't why she lost her position she had made a scene with the second salemers when she found out that credence was being beaten and she actually attacked i think mary lou didn't she yes that's it right because that's illegal and i guess they didn't they didn't fire her altogether because she still has access to uh, Makusa's headquarters and she still has like this office but it's like on the third floor or whatever right <laughs> and like all this mail is floating around you can tell like oh she's in the mail room it's she's been very- demoted <laughs> sorry it's it's very Mulder from the X-Files like he has a tiny little office in the basement you know he can get into the building but his office is in the basement <laughs> so yeah we I think we can see well enough that she's not she's not happy with where she is and right anything to get her back to her place 
So maybe it's not even about the beast so much. She's, right. she's more like, ah, oh, this is it. This is my way back in. So the next person we get introduced to then is Jacob. And I describe... My boy. <laughs> yeah, everybody really likes Jacob, including myself. And there are good reasons for it. We'll talk. We actually have a whole segment on why Woo. Jacob works really well as Heck a character. Yeah. So his mission statement, and I'm thinking because he comes from the background of being like this miserable veteran who's working in a canning factory and his one hope of opening a bakery has just been turned down. He's actually literally pulled into the conflict, like I said, because he's gotten hurt by one of the creatures. It's more of like a coincidence scenario where, you know, he's like the bystander that got pulled in. But the fact that he's a muggle, I mean, that's that's the first time we actually follow a muggle that closely in the Harry Potter universe. I, I think that that is amazing. And I love it because that role is typically for the love interest. And in this case, Tina is more of the love interest and she's the career girl ah. as opposed to a man being in a career position. It's just such a flip on the old stereotypical storyline i love it and i think that's partially why i love jacob so much is that he's sort of in that role and he's so fun right right so entertaining to follow him too because we can see ourselves in him he is he is the muggle quote-unquote muggle in a magical world now so he's seeing everything for the first time, making it all fresh for us. And the fact that he's hilarious is great, too. He's into it. He's not afraid. He's not like the second Salemers who were very afraid of this magical thing. He he just kind of goes with the flow. And it's so refreshing. I love it. <laughs> it is. It is. So other than being pulled into it because because he's gotten ill from a bite, he's he's nursed by Newt. Which is great, too. So it gives him a reason why his next statement comes from the fact that he's fallen in love with Tina's sister when mm-hmm. he sees her. And now he doesn't want to lose the memories of magic. I mean, I think before just him getting sick and being healed would have been enough. And then we could have sent him on his way. But the new conflict for him is how do I stay with her? How do I not forget what's happening to me right now? Interesting. Okay. Would you agree with that? I guess I do. I also kind of hope that he part of his reasoning is that he's found a group it's not just because of a romantic relationship he's found a friend in newt oh absolutely and even tina who doesn't they probably talk the least him and tina but i feel like they they really form like a a group just because he doesn't he's not like i just want to get married to her you know yeah and i think the stakes are raised higher well actually you're right there's moments between him and queenie and then him and newt that are very similar in that Oh, I think I I think I found family. Like exactly. I can't lose that and I don't like help me not lose that. Yeah. Um so yeah. you know, Newt's conflict then becomes his because Newt needs his help. Yeah. And he likes them. Yeah. It's so fun to watch that relationship. Yes. Cuz Newt is so very like in his own world and doing his own thing and he's not rude about it. He's very like Keaton-esque about it, kind of like funny and independent and just sort of goes his direction but it's fun to see him sort of fall in love with jacob to some degree yeah. you know yeah yeah we'll be talking about that bromance sorry soon it's so hard not to talk about no it. it's good that's a great introduction to it so hold to those thoughts because yes. we will return to those saved queenie i think is more like newt in that she's not interested in getting ahead but rather interested in caregiving and loving those who deserve it totally Um, We see this in how she treats her sister and how she takes to Jacob despite him being a muggle and maybe not even being that physically attractive either. I mean, she's described as beautiful. So why have a beautiful woman? You know, I'm just pointing this out that I think this is great. A beautiful woman falling in love with like this 
overweight like comical guy yeah i mean sure he's gone to war but he doesn't act like a soldier all the time no he's a baker yeah and yeah and he's a baker out of all things right (laughs) so i love the fact that that she's she's falling in love with not his facade i see but with who he is Mm -hmm. um and the fact that he's muggled doesn't even dawn on her right if anything she's more like fascinated by it totally right so in that sense she becomes very attached to him and then of course she's already attached to her sister so newt's mission then becomes hers as well because those people she loves need her help right um so that's how she's pulled in and it happens very quickly because she's that kind of person i think yeah so yes, all of those were all mission statements from the good hero side and the bad hero side. And I wanted to point those out first because like I said, I define conflict by what's preventing those characters from getting what they want. So now identifying the conflicts. And I'm, I'm going to reiterate how much I actually really like the use of headlines in the Harry Potter universe because they dumb it down for us. They're like, I'm going to tell you what the conflict <laughs> is. Here's the headline that says Grindelwald is attacking Europe. Anti-wizard's sentiment is on the rise beast ownership ban continues in the u.s they're actually telling you what all the pre-conflicts are interesting it's it makes sense it was a smart way for jk to be able to explain what's happening without uh somebody having been able to read like 400 pages right like they were done with harry potter i mean you know what i mean right so it's it's a make sense it's a make it's a mix (laughs) i don't know why i'm italian (laughs) It makes sense that these are the factors that are preventing the characters from getting what they want. It's all very it's all very higher authority prevention. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's Makusa in, in Europe. There's the Ministry of Magic. There's all these laws everywhere. Um, and I think those are the biggest hurdles for these characters and what they're trying to do at the moment. I was, I, like I told you, I think I was looking at Makusa and I was also looking at uh, what I was calling Harry Potter politics. And I read a couple things briefly about how J.K. liked using the idea of a bureauc- bureaucracy as both villain and just a part of the system of the wizarding world. And to think it makes a lot of sense both for British people and for <laughs> in America. We have so much bureaucracy that, you know, the cogs are so slow. Yes. Um, and it's easy to corrupt in a lot of instances. To see these big organizations making these sometimes arbitrary laws does affect, obviously, what's happening with their characters. Oh, it's like a metaphor for our current um, <laughs> culture. I don't know. Maybe not. I, psh, I could be wrong. I would say culture all over the world. Yes. I mean, there are all these like sliding democracies all over the world right now, and dictatorship is going up all over the world. So it's not just a, you know, American soil thing. It really is sort of a global issue that's going on right now. Well, no, and and if you're comparing like like you said before, the rise of Hitler. I mean, this is exa- it's happened so many times in history. It's redonkulous. <laughs> oh man, she went 90s. That's how bad it is. <laughs> but really, it's just it's like a repetition in in reality and story. It's been told dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Yep. But it's good to keep, I guess, being reminded that that's what's happened before, unless it just goes on deaf ears but i don't yeah i don't think it is otherwise we just have one right yeah i, guess I mean so. we do have one but we're fighting it yes you're right maybe <laughs> that's that's the point yeah so the point where the two plots come together i think is when graves interrogates newt and tina because at this point what he wants kind of shifts because he discovers that newt actually has an obscurus in his briefcase 
And because he knows that's a tool, he's like, oh my God, maybe I don't even need credence anymore. I, this is, I think, interpretation because I, it would make sense if he's like, okay, I don't need to deal with credence and his, the, the fact that he's a wild card because here's an Obscurus right here. Hmm. Um, but in questioning Newt, he finds that it's useless without a host, right? Newt says it to him. And that's the first time Newt is like, well, why would you want to use that? And now Graves is in trouble because he's like, oh, God, I said, like, too much. And this guy's... And Tina saw it, too. And Tina, right. Yeah, Tina's there. So I think he's suddenly very threatened by Newt and, of course, has to get rid of him. And and any excuse, right, to execute him. Like, oh, it's your beasts. You're going to die. You know, that's it. There was not even a trial. It was that quick. That's how scared he got. I didn't think about it like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Because when I first saw it, it, when he was like, okay, death to both of you, I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. Like, what is happening? But that makes more sense. It just wasn't, I didn't pick up on that. And that was actually one of the scenes where I got a completely different idea of what the scene, what was going on in the scene from the script than I did the film. Ah, okay. Just in terms of how he, how JK writes that he's speaking to Tina. That Newt is. Mm-hmm. He's answering the questions by Graves, but he's speaking to Tina. And we see that on screen, but it didn't really make sense on screen to me. Like, I didn't understand why he was doing that, I guess. Um, and in the script version, it made a lot more sense. Maybe because it was slower. It was a slower pace. I don't know. Uh, maybe if I'd seen the movie a few more times, that would make more sense. But it, it just seemed more clear in, in the script that he definitely wanted Tina to know what 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 he did and why why he hid the information about the obscurus and admitting that he had an obscurus he really wanted to tell her and i mean we can talk more about this later but since i don't feel a whole lot of chemistry between the two of them it was nice to see that explicitly written in the script because it meant that there was chemistry there right that he does care about her in a in a in a bigger sense but also like you know as a person like he wants to be respected by her to yeah. some degree yeah and he cares about her feelings and it was nice to see that was actually supposed to be that way because it didn't get that a whole lot in the movie i mean high stakes tend to bring out like the most truth in us right so even if he hasn't realized that he's maybe in love with her he's doing it anyway because now he's really in deep and um there, there was no calculating for this this massive you know conflict and i think that's why this is the moment it, it does become his conflict. The whole Obscurus mission becomes his because he is the one that knows more about them and how they're not a weapon as Grindelwald wants it to be and why he's suspecting now that this man in front of him is more than he appears to be because suddenly the knowledge of, a, of an Obscurus that he's gathered is now going to be twisted and he doesn't want that to happen because he's a caregiver. So which makes sense that after they actually escape the execution death sentence yeah <laughs> that his goal then becomes the same as graves which is to prevent the obscurus from being killed which is interesting and i like it right i like right. that they share the same goal with completely different motivations right <laughs> right oh my god i told and i totally wrote that down Did you sorry <laughs> but no 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 and i'm glad that, that i'm glad you said that because that means it came across so despite having a shared goal their intentions are completely opposite which makes one the good hero and one the bad hero. Hence the climax where Credence is out of control and everyone's having conflicting goals on what to do about it. Um, and because of the amount of wizards working for Makusa, it's, it's of course them who win because they have like the most firepower, I guess. 
and nothing that Newt, Tina, or Graves say to Credence then matters um, because they they think in their minds they've failed. And we as the audience know that I bet you talking to him might have worked. Right. We know, right? We were seeing it. Right, right. We saw it more than once. Given enough time, he would have calmed down. Right. And yeah. it's like this easy fix of like, no, you just kill anything that's bad. You're right. That's that's total mob mentality. And it's a metaphor for what's going on. And the same thing with beasts, right? They're so ready to just kill them off. But what were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, I think that that last portion, it really highlights everything that you're talking about. Because we see Tina and Newt and Graves all trying to protect, protect Credence. And also Graves is trying to use Credence, of course. But there's that shot that we paused at when we were watching it again, where the Obscurus is going to go through them and kill them it's not graves's fault necessarily but there's tina and then there's newt who's standing in front of graves like trying to protect him and it's a very interesting staging because it does really show us that all these people share a similar idea but they all have their own reasons for it and we know who they are based on what their actions are yes (laughs) yes we yeah we actually are shown their characters and what side of like the moral spectrum they're on yeah because you're right that was a moment where newt is covering graves that's a moment that wasn't in the screenplay and that was played up in the movie he literally goes in front of the obscurus to protect graves i was like what are you doing that dude tried to kill you like three times already and he's still sacrificing himself because he's at heart a caregiver right and i think that's an excellent way of separating yeah separating the morals and and not just and not just having flat characters right um, that was a good summary of those of all that mm-hmm. a lot of information yeah sorry no i meant that in a good way oh. <laughs> I, like, I meant thank you not <laughs> when you read it it seems organized i don't know that was very organized <laughs> it really kind of helps shape what you're supposed to be sort of looking at for people who don't look at story a lot they might say oh i liked that one part but i didn't like that other part this kind of gives you context for that. Like, this is how you can create a story. In right. some sense. Yeah. And also, like, critical study of why certain scenes make you feel the way they do. It's because they're doing something right. That they, that they have a formula basis that, I mean, that might be super old, but there's a reason why it works. Because we identify w- with character, with relationships, with places and patterns i mean we like that regret Um, yeah (laughs) regret i mean yeah all the things and it's it's easy it's easy for me to watch this movie as entertainment Mm -hmm. but once i started to study it i i then felt appreciation for it which i would argue are the best stories yeah really um and i tend to take it into a psychological realm and i think that's like i mean i don't know it's like the source of everything in, in my opinion Everything good and bad can sort of come from that perspective of like, okay, so you're selling me something to some degree. What's going to make me buy it? What are you trying to tell me? Interesting. Underneath it. And I don't mean like in a icky salesman kind of way. No, no. I like that. I, I'm still very in awe of it though. Ditto. I'm like, what does this mean, Charlotte? I'm like, oh, it's this, this, and that. I'm like, oh, okay, wow. Well, and on the flip side, I'm like, well, why, why do we subconsciously <laughs> always think this, Jen? <laughs> it's beneficial. It works. It works. I think that works really well for what we should talk about next, which is some of the relationships. 
And we we talked about doing three in specific. Um, one being Queenie and Jacob. Uh, the second being Tina and Newt. And the third being Newt and Jacob. Romance number one. Romance number two. And romance, romance number three. <laughs> so let's talk about Queenie and Jacob. Thoughts? <laughs> I kind of, since we've kind of mentioned what Queenie wants in the story, I think it makes sense then as a caregiver slash someone who's, who loves people who deserve it. I think it makes sense that she falls in love with Jacob and pretty easily it seems to me. Yeah. Right? Because it's in the course of a day, maybe I, yeah, less. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, on both ends, both yeah. of them feel it. And I ran with it. Usually I don't in those situations where I'm like, yeah, that'll never happen within a day. <laughs> they barely interact with each other. But with the type of person she is, I felt like it was okay. She was very accepting. She was curious about him. And he, in turn, was really curious about her. I mean, besides looks, because it was apparent that that was like the first thing he noticed. But I think what you said is exactly why I did like the relationship. So, like, the Queenie character feels like it could be a very typical character. She's the pretty blonde one, you know, and she's kind of bubbly and like it makes sense that Jacob is immediately infatuated, not necessarily in love with her because he doesn't know her, but infatuated with her. And I thought that the only way that that worked for me was because we see that Queenie isn't just bubbly. She's not dumb. She's smart and cunning as we talked about and even more so than her sister i mean she really could be considered the brains of the two sisters um whereas tina is maybe the career girl you know she wants to have a certain kind of job queenie is actually you know the the brains interesting does that is that affected by her ability like her telepathy i mean uh, probably because she has the ability to read people's thoughts um and she does that throughout the film uh i think that that would it could, anyway, add to that. That's really interesting because you, she does it. Like I said before, I I feel like she her goal in life is never to get ahead. So she has all these abilities. She's very cunning, but she's not she's not using them in any bad way. I still believe it's a lot like Newt, where he has these abilities, but it's he has such a mission in his character already, and so does she. That it doesn't matter that the outside world is wanting what they have. Because what they have is good enough for them. Um, so when something does come along that fits that side of her, it, mm -hmm. it's an instant connection. And I would argue that Queenie is, to me, Queenie is a mother figure to Tina. Yes. Yes. Um, which goes right into your theory. I don't think it's a theory anymore that, you know, she is a lot like Newt, who is also the mother figure to some degree. Yeah. And we, I mean, all it takes is what the the first scene where we see Tina and Queenie together, yeah. where she's like, oh, "You can't keep eating that same junk," she, you know, yeah, like she needs a whole a whole wholesome meal, and right, it's yeah, it's very little, but we get it, we yeah, get that scene, and then throughout the movie, as you see, like as soon as she feels her sister in danger, that's all it's about, you know, it's to save her. Yeah, I would say even even more so that direction than Tina feeling that way towards Queenie. Yeah. You know, I think Queenie does sort of take on Tina as a responsibility, even though they're sisters. She's obviously, or at least I thought she was the older sister. It seems like that. Actually true. <laughs> <laughs> and she, and this also why it worked for me is because she doesn't, she doesn't treat Jacob like a mother. She's not mothering him. Right. So she's serving a dual purpose and it works because of that, not despite that. Um, if she were to treat Jacob like a child, 
I would have a big issue with this. <laughs> right. You know, it would be typical again. Right. But we're staying away from the typical by making her a mother to one who's her own age, basically, um, and not to her romantic partner. She's not right. caretaking in a negative sense to Jacob. Right. Um, she's fascinated by him, like you said. Yeah. and. He's kind of like in awe of her. And even though part of it is how she looks, like her appearance, he also like they have a lot of really fun conversations. Yeah. And he loves that she can that he can that she can hear his thoughts. He finds it charming, not not. And he, he treats it in a way like, you know, he, in, in that first meal. He's like, I don't mean anything by this, but can you not read my mind for a minute? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's never like why are you reading my mind he's yeah. not afraid of her he's not angry with her it's not intrusive um and he's not treating her like she's a piece of meat either. yeah yeah it's really amazing to be honest because this should be in it's been proven to us that this should be a typical relationship that is based on negative stereotypes oh, right that there's some equality off the bat yeah mutual respect off the bat and it helps that, yeah, there's magic involved and new experiences involved. But we see that's not that's not what keeps them together either. No, it, it bridges them, but it, it it's not the reason they're together. I wonder if this is a good opportunity then to point out something that was in the screenplay and not in the movie. Because it was just this it was a quick moment where towards the end, Queenie's ready to leave Jacob to go help her sister and Jacob stops her and she's she's ready that's, to oh go that's ahead. a great scene just to, to to like that's a great scene because he Newt has the briefcase uh-huh or the suitcase <laughs> that's right and he needs to go so he turns around and gives it to <laughs> Tina and he's like take care of this and, T- and then he leaves and then Tina's like okay so she turns around to her sister and she's like take this take care of it and then she leaves <laughs> and then Oh, and then, well, then that's also a great example of how much they already trust each other. The Definitely. core four is now a family. Right. So much so that Newt is handing his kids yeah. to Tina, who he knows he's he's infatuated with, but also maybe in love with. So here Tina. And trust. And trusts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. I don't know why I keep going to romance. Yeah. But it's it's more of trust. It's like, here, family member. Yeah. Here are my kids. Right. Tina turns around. Here's sister. Here yeah. are his kids. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's okay because we know that Tina trusts Queenie. Right. Right. So lastly, we're, when Queenie hands... Queenie? Queenie. Queenie. <laughs> when Queenie hands the briefcase to Jacob... Mm-hmm. Um, also mutual trust there definitely but yeah jacob is to the point where he's like no i can't like, he stops I, her yeah he stops her the part that didn't come across in the movie was that i guess when she when she was ready to go anyway where she was like no 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 you don't understand like i, I need to go help her there's a moment where she reads jacob's mind and of course we don't know she doesn't actually say it out loud and we don't see any sort of image or sound we don't hear sounds or anything like that but in the screenplay it says that she saw some of his war memories and was like immediately sympathetic and knew why she couldn't leave him and I think that's the moment that kind of ties them together as a couple where it she's like sucks that we don't get to see it I know because doesn't that mean a lot more than yeah than it, you know it's yeah. a super awkward scene to watch because yeah. they she just kind of looks at him and we don't have any sort of indication that she's reading his mind maybe that was supposed to be implied but then the shot should have been closer 
we're not on a close-up we're back so we're not looking at that it was just shot weird if that was supposed to be implied close-ups yeah sorry yeah like why not use a close-up so that we understand what's happening in that moment because in the other moments when she's reading someone's mind there's a close-up or she says she says it out loud or she says it out loud and we don't get any of that right right and then yeah as you said in the screenplay or the script you 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 actually know what she's seeing and that's huge that yeah to me that felt like like the the bookend well not the bookend because that comes later as well <laughs> like the moment where I was where I felt like ah yes this relationship is is real and I'm I'm up to following it to the end you know right we don't need to see them get married we just know that there's a strong connection there yes and that they both are feeling it yes and that's what matters that's how you want to start a relationship especially if this is going to be a five-part or a four-part series of movies then that's a great place to begin right their relationship is is on that of course it changes a little in episode or part two let's not talk about that okay let's talk about how this first one is so <laughs> solid as itself and the only other note i had about that relationship was that i thought that the amount of time we spent on it was just right ah like it was enough time to get to know them and to see that there's chemistry there and to see that it could be important later but but it, it wasn't too much it, we weren't spending too much time there i didn't feel bored with their interaction i agree 100 percent any other notes on those two i think it was a good setup as a romeo and juliet scenario where she's coming from a place where her her people would never accept him actually it's so much so that it's illegal and then he in turn would have to probably you know live a life of secrecy if he were to marry queenie because he couldn't tell anybody that she was a wizard so i thought there was a lot of potential there and it, it felt like it was building up to be something like that especially since we know that the main conflict is a war between muggles and uh, wizards right uh no i um i was just wondering are there any couples in harry potter that are one muggle and one magical person i thought hermione but hermione has two muggle parents yeah how interesting because for a second i was like oh maybe these two are the ones that changed the law in their romance oh my god but i don't know that anybody actually is Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so Although, interesting. Uh, well, I guess Dudley. Dudley's his uncle, uh, Harry Potter's uncle and aunt. But no, the aunt's not magical. It was her sister. Right. So no, they're two non-magical people. I, I cannot remember. And if, if there were, I feel like it would have been talked about. Like yeah. it would have been it would have been highlighted. Yeah. I mean, you know, JK. Oh. I mean, I thought maybe if that was sort of established in Harry Potter that this would be a good way to get to how it got there. Ah, I see. To work backwards, because that's what she's been doing. Right. She's been changing canon, which people are not happy about, but she's been working backwards. Interesting. But no, that's wrong, apparently, because we can't think of any. So <sighs> Wow. Let us know if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's more to come on that subject, too. Because we don't know, again, getting ahead of ourselves, but we don't know what happens after part two. Oh, yeah, of course. Um I'm just, just saying it's a, a good setup for that scenario. Totally. Okay, let's look at Tina and Newt, shall we? We have different feelings about this relationship, and I think that's beneficial because it shows that there is a lot of things happening in this relationship. Uh-huh. I didn't think that they had very much chemistry at all, and I thought that the romance aspect wasn't needed. I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't really buy into it. Um, it felt forced. But that is different. It becomes different when we use our Tina 
our version of Tina changes that relationship for me. And we'll talk about that more later. But I do think that that relationship was definitely meant to work. I just didn't buy it based on who Tina is in JK's world. It just didn't fit. And I thought that because of that, we spent too much time on that, on the romantic aspect. Like, I just wanted them to just be people with each other first. And then if they want to develop a romantic thing, then great. But let's just see them interact as people first. Like, and I didn't feel like I got that. It always felt like they were trying to, like, look at each other from across the room. And I'm like, okay, guys, just, like, be people first. (laughs) And then you can develop your romance. But you got to, like, know who each other is. Otherwise, it's not true romance. It's infatuation. It's obsession. It's, like, it's not real. That's not how love works. You can tell me otherwise, but I won't believe you. You know what I mean? And I know it's different because it's a film and you have less time. But it's also, like, there's going to be, like, four or five films. So there is time. Okay. So there's that. I I think I know which scenes you're like talking about here cuz I agree with you that there wasn't enough chemistry and I guess the part I I disagreed with you when we first talked about it um from the privacy of our home not, <laughs> not over our microphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um was that I I felt like new needed a romantic interest because of his character his uh socially awkward character because I I feel like that would benefit him. Because, I mean, he has been the caregiver, the mother type. Um, he doesn't even make friends very easily. That's what I thought he needed, was a best friend. Which he got. Which he totally got. And that's got. why I thought Tina was a good addition. Interesting. Um, because that would take longer. I think, I think by, and this is a side note, but Jacob and Newt's relationship was so perfect. It was. It was a perfect development, perfect pacing. Absolutely. But then we have, what, three other films to do. Mm-hmm. So I thought a very slow romance was definitely needed for him because it would it would give him reasons to do things later and develop later agreed. and slower agreed uh, but then you're right there were moments that felt unauthentic and and forced in romance they just weren't ready they weren't there yet yeah like that that scene you know what scene i'm talking about when they're talking i think they're on a rooftop or something they're they're talking and it, it's mainly just the two of them talking i actually thought you were talking about the moment they were having dinner there's uh, that one and too. there's all four of them there's that one too but i didn't feel like we were that didn't feel as unauthentic inauthentic as what happened later interesting that was subtle enough and it was slow enough to some degree. I mean, it was still weird because of Tina, though, the character, not not the actor and not not the situation. Yeah. Um, and the and the parts that I agree, I think should be there could be as soon as the the dinner where everybody's eating together um, because they are so socially awkward anyway. Right. Um, that it's it's nice to see the two socially awkward people look at each other socially awkwardly. Right. I wish that they hadn't ruined part of that scene by Tina bringing in their drinks at night when they're when when uh jacob and newt are in bed and she comes in that felt so weird like she all of a sudden seemed like she was taking everything so personally oh yeah like it was i just didn't understand that but i think that that's the issue with tina not with anything else necessarily 
I knew that scene felt weird for some reason. <laughs> as soon as she leaves, we get back to Jacob and Newt and their relationship, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in that same scene, there's, like, a slight moment between Jacob and Queenie and in Queenie. the distance. Yes. She's like, you know, waving good night. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> You're right. And he's really nice to Tina. He, like, thanks her. Yes. And Newt is, like, pretending to sleep, and he's, like, pissed at her. And she, like, is mad about that. And I'm like, why are we so dramatic all of a sudden? It was weird. Yeah, that one, that scene didn't make sense between them. You're right. I think it could be solved with some of our solutions for Tina's character. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that one didn't make any sense. Um, and the rooftop, right? So, yeah, and then and then we're debating. And, well, and I wanted to appreciate the fact that in the interrogation room, Newt, despite, I mean, even if it's not a romantic relationship, I feel like Newt, suddenly feels so invested in Tina in that if he's threatened the way he was he wants her to know the truth and he kept like turning to her because it, he wanted to tell her absolutely um, I loved that beat right yeah it was a great beat and I think it was surprising for him too when he suddenly like finds himself like wanting to, to explain himself to her right while he's being questioned and possibly being put to death his concern at that point is to explain to tina why and what and how you know yes i do think that that's a great moment if their relationship really began in like the second movie i'd be like oh that was perfect because they laid the foundation like that's what a relationship is not like i said not an infatuation not like having a crush like those things aren't true love necessarily yeah and for their character types, it makes more sense that that romance would develop very, very slowly. Yes, absolutely. It can't be quick. Right. Like, neither of those characters are designed that way. Whereas Queenie, I could believe it being quicker. And Jacob, I can believe it being quicker. Right. And then you're right. I was going to say the rooftop. The only part I think I appreciated about the rooftop scene where, you know, Newt's speaking, but he suddenly kind of just gets distracted by the fact that he's looking at her differently. And, and Tina shows the same the same pattern where he when she's kind of like mesmerized but then she has a point to make and right he's kind of snapped out of it right i thought that was funny it was it was um, cute but i mean but yeah if the relationship theory if our relationship theory was working out then it probably didn't even need to be there or it didn't need to happen that soon right i think that that scene could have obvious like stuck for sure we could have still seen that just a little bit later and it may have been fine to see that then so long as we didn't have that last scene Yes, you're right. And I, yes, I kind of agree with this last scene as well. Describe the scene. He's about to return to Europe on a ship. So I don't know what they call it, the docks? A port? Yeah, port. (laughs) What is it called? I don't know. She's seeing him off, which as as a friendship, develop their friendship, that makes sense. Like, I would want to see him off too. Um, And they do talk about his book, which I appreciated too, to have that book end. (laughs) To have the book end about the book. Um, But yeah, it gets kind of awkward again because they've only had these moments of like looking at each other. Which is great for the beginning of a romance. Right. That's what you want is just looking and no talking about it. Right. Because that's how it starts. Right. Continue, sorry. And (laughs) other actions that lay a, a deeper foundation. Right. Not necessarily romantic gestures, but right. just like friendship Trust. gestures. Trust. Friendship. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. If that scene could have been more deeply rooted and well, long lasting. What was the rest of the scene? Sorry. Oh, so the physical motion that Newt makes is to, to brush her hair behind her ear. 
and then he leaves and then she's like all you know giggled about it um not like bubbly giggled but you know she's she's touched by it and then he comes back you know awkwardly and is like well can i come bring the book to you Um, as opposed to sending it as opposed to sending it um she's like oh that would be great like that i would like that oh yeah that's our nine yeah. i would like that <laughs> and then he gets on the uh landing gear and landing gear is <laughs> we're living in a desert to be fair <laughs> what year are we in we're that in would be the dock 20s <laughs> so he's or, on yeah, the dock it's not the dock it's like the 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 ramp onto the boat. The ramp, yeah. From the, the dock to the boat. Yeah. He's on the ramp. He's on the ramp. <laughs> you were close. Landing strip, <laughs> land, land, whatever. <laughs> ramp. He's on the ramp. Um, and he pauses like halfway up. And, you know, he doesn't look back. He doesn't do anything except pause and then keep going. I could have seen if 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 what played out between the, the two there was mostly friendship. I could have actually seen that pause being like, oh, here, audience, maybe there's something more. Exactly. Right? That's a perfect gesture because you're not saying anything. You're not being obvious about it. And it's a questioning thing. Yes. But the combination of all those things is what makes it really unfortunate and over the top and not subtle and not believable and weird, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I know it's a very strong opinion about one scene, but this is supposed to be a relationship, romantic or not, that lasts through the whole series. Yes. So we kind of need it to be strong in terms of how it was created. Right. And that did not feel strong. That felt very kind of pathetic. (laughs) Yeah. And if they have done it the more subtle way, we would have been more in suspense for the second one. Exactly. We want to root for them. But at this point, it's like, cool, great, awesome. Where is, like you said, where's the suspense? Yeah. There's no, we don't need to be involved as an audience because they already got it. So. Yeah. We're done. (laughs) And yeah, please, please allow us to be smarter than we, than you think we are, you know? Don't assume that your audience is dumb. Yes. That's a good general rule of thumb. an amazing rule. Everybody should learn that rule. Yes. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, put thought into it. I mean, you still want to make it... You still want to do what's right for the story and for your characters, uh, no matter if it's obvious or not. Because I think that that transcends audience expectation. Yes. It seemed like what they wanted to end their relationship on in that movie differed from what it actually should have ended on we can know that they want to see each other again by being friends we can know that they want to like trust each other and they want to talk to each other by being friends it doesn't mean that because they're in two different places that that's not true anymore exactly so you're right that would have made more sense (sighs) i don't know (laughs) we both sigh yeah and it does seem like an like an old trope that they just kind of threw in threw in yeah there's not enough we gotta make them look at each other more he needs to like touch her face yeah that seemed that was probably the most unnatural for me is him trying to like take her like touch her hair that was so completely outside of what Newt would actually do. And I think Eddie Redmayne, the actor, did it amazingly. Yeah. Considering. Actually, really amazingly. Yeah. yeah but it, it was completely out of character for him. I've never seen him do that. Like, it just doesn't make sense for his character. Yeah. It's just, it astounds me sometimes. I'm like, oh my God. How did they, like, mess this up so well? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our final awesome relationship. Romance. Um, Sorry. I'm going to keep calling it that. You can call it that. I, I Yeah, that's fine with me. Newt and Jacob. I think it's oh the perfect development for our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I pointed out in the screenplay what I thought was a perfectly developed scene. 
Look at you doing your not homework. Not even. <laughs> you. Well, just as I read it, I was like, you know what? I think that scene was so well developed. I think this should be a reference for people. Oh, I need an idea of a well developed scene that includes a relationship between two people and how it changes within that scene. Interesting. Okay. Tell us. So it, it it's the scene where we first go into Newt's briefcase. And it happens to coincide with the fact that Jacob needs medical attention from Newt. So to begin with, Newt still doesn't know Jacob all that well. He's more of just like a person he has to heal and then probably send on his way. So he invites him into the briefcase, kind of like nonchalantly too. He's like, he waves his hand over, right? He like goes into the briefcase and Jacob's like, huh? He's like wide-eyed, just like shocked. I think he makes a noise. <laughs> <laughs> but Newt waves him in, right? So, I mean, even that first step is pretty big because he doesn't trust everybody with his creatures. Totally. But he's probably gauged that Jacob wasn't a threat. Yeah. Not even a friend, but wasn't a threat. Right. Um, well, not just not a threat. Sorry, I didn't no, mean to. No, go ahead. Not just not a threat, but somebody who may appreciate it, too. Yeah. Because he could have easily gone in, got the stuff, come back out. Right, He right. invited him in to see it, and he plays with them. Sorry. Oh. Ah, good point. So, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, they enter the briefcase. Um, at first, it's just this little house that Newt keeps stuff in. It's, almost, it's like a threshold into the actual creature world. But you see Jacob even trusting Newt in the fact that he takes the medication that Newt gives him. He's like, mine as well, you know, um, since I'm here and I can't believe any of this anyway. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He's in a state of, dis- you know. Totally, disbelief. Disbelief, but in a, in a very... Um, Fun. Might as well happen. Kind yeah. Of way. Yeah. <laughs> so they're both very reserved, but they're also very like funny people that, that doesn't come across. Um, but you can tell because they're not friends yet. And then throughout this scene, Newt is showing Jacob. Like he takes them out of the shack and they go into the rest of the briefcase, basically. Right. And it's not even Newt volunteering. I mean, he's just doing his job by feeding him. He's not even telling. He's not like teaching him or telling him unless Jacob asks. Jacob's the one to ask and to be interested, which right. makes Newt interested in Jacob because suddenly somebody else is appreciative of his creatures. And he's not used to that. Right. He's like basically being like a zookeeper slash museum like tour guide or something where he's he's walking around um and you know each section kind of has its own environment and its own magical creature or beast and uh newt is doing a series of different feeding some of them he's just like petting or like getting them comfortable and yeah jacob is just kind of following behind him being super interested and i think that works because suddenly both feel like they're being boys again that it's it's you know, a friend that's over at his house and he's interested by the stuff he has. Totally. And I, yeah, I think that really works because they both have come from a stressful situation and now it's like fun. And Newt like watches Jacob. Yeah. He like keeps an eye on him. And again, these are things you usually see with a romantic relationship. And that's why I love it also so much that it's platonic friends. Yeah. Um, it's so refreshing that you can see a lot of the same things happening in a friendship, which I think is realistic and more realistic for our generation, too. People are not getting married as much. So it makes sense that we see somebody who char- these characters seem like they're laying down foundation for a friendship. Um, and that's really fun to see because they're both so unique and they're both like you said funny and interesting characters they're not being forced into this situation newt has invited him in it's after they've been forced together of course but like you know that's a big we don't see newt doing that with tina for instance Um, which makes sense for the situation but it also sort of makes makes jacob 
a really key character in Newt's in Newt's hero's journey journey yeah Yeah. in his change from being one thing to another thing you know yeah yeah because I still feel like he needed a friend first yeah not even a relation not a romantic relationship but a friend right um because he I mean this is later after the scene but he even asked Jacob like people really like you don't they because he's he's probably already found out like oh my god yeah I like this dude you know yeah do that yeah why can't I do that of course he doesn't realize that Jacob likes Newt Right. I mean, Newt would never would never tell that somebody likes him as a friend because you know he's not used to that either, probably. or anything, or anything. <laughs> he, he, I, yeah. I mean, it seems like what we get from his experience is he, he's either looked at as indifferently, they don't see him at all, or he's sort of pushed around a little bit. Not not Draco to Harry Potter pushed around, but maybe more like even Neville. Um, oh yeah, somebody who who isn't really looked at seriously. People Absolutely. don't take him seriously. But Jacob does. That's an excellent observation. Oh, my God. I have so many things to say about this relationship. <laughs> it looks like you're preparing to... Well, I was looking at the, the notes I marked in the scene. And a lot of it said things like there was a lot of like feminine energy between them two. Because they, they weren't trying... Despite the fact that they acted like boys in their excitement, they weren't trying to one-up each other. Mm. They both were participating in a caregiving activity and they both wanted to i i don't see that among men men's relationships uh, practically at all and the things that they say to each other like newt saying because uh, jacob asked so what you rescue these creatures and he says yes that's right rescue nurture and protect them and i'm generally trying to educate my fellow wizards about them mm-hmm. like that's his goal and jacob's fascinated by that that puts them both in this very rare situation where they're not power hungry at all. I am so glad you said that because that's my biggest point is that this relationship is the most anti-toxic masculinity (gasps) relationship I've ever seen. And it's so well executed and it's so well focused and it, it knows where it's going. But I would say that, you know, a yeah, it's amazing how anti anti toxic masculinity ah, I see. it is. Um, and you know we all have different shows that we do and do don't like, obviously. But you know one that comes up a lot for toxic masculinity is um, uh, the Big Bang Theory is considered one that has a lot of toxic masculinity because it's a lot of men vying for different things against each other even though they're supposed to be friends and I use that one because it's obvious um and it's not usually that obvious toxic masculinity is usually a lot more subtle Um, but you see it a lot where men are in competition with each other to gain something and sometimes a friendship blossoms but that friendship is predicated on competition and who can man up more than the other one so it's so refreshing to see this relationship which is like the my ideal i guess for masculinity represent being represented um, on screen i also wanted to mention that i think that it's great that this relationship there's a lot of dynamics in this film that follow or you can see how they're connected to harry potter and the characters there some of the um background or uh what am I trying to say like the the major parts that make a character some of those are shared with a lot of Harry Potter characters and dynamics and I was really grateful and happy to see that this wasn't Harry Potter and Ron oh yeah this was not that relationship there was jealousy in that relationship there was like I mean they're kids but there's more to say about that too but Newt and 
and Jacob really don't compete which I know I already said but it really does bear repeating because it's so unique they don't they don't see each other that way they see each other like curiously you know they're both like oh what do you like you know like who are you it's not like I must dominate you now yeah and they're not affected by the fact that they come from different backgrounds totally like, Newt never asks him what's it like in the muggle world you right. know? <laughs> he doesn't care about that kind of right. like Queenie like they don't they don't see that that difference right and Jacob, in turn, doesn't doesn't seem to. I mean, maybe every now and then he's like, "Of course you can do that," you know, but that's it. Never turns into any sort of toxic jealousy, which right. could easily happen too. To be jealous of somebody magical? Are you kidding me? Totally. Because I was gonna say, yeah, like Ron, Ron being jealous of Harry uh, wouldn't translate because Newt's not the chosen one, but he is magical and Jacob is not. Right. So there is definitely room for that to happen. But it was chosen not to happen. Right. And that's awesome. <laughs> and I, you know, obviously, I think that this is the strongest relationship in the, in the movie and the script. It, it has the most chemistry, yes. which is cool because it's not romantic. And again, I appreciate that a lot. Yes. It doesn't have to be romantic to be engaging. And there's this. <laughs> oh, say crying. that again. It doesn't have to be romantic <laughs> to be engaging. <sighs> there's this, you know, we, we have this issue. There's there's this. um gut reaction that everything needs to have a romantic um, twist to it and while it is nice to have a romantic twist on things when you're representing people who don't usually um, get represented or it's nice to sort of have that but not depend on it yes and there was no in my opinion based on how it is now there was absolutely no reason to even try to force newt and tina to do anything more than the scenes that we did like because you had enough going on with Newt and Jacob. Ah. So you, you split the two between, you know, the attention between the two. And it works because both are strong. If both were weak, that would be a cop-out, right? So it, it's really cool that they have two available. And even, you know, other relationships. I think Queenie and Tina are an interesting combination that we could talk about it's a lot more subtle though and it's a lot less material to work with yeah yeah and queenie and jacob of course have a lot going on there and i would even say you know how the two worlds collide the real world and the fake i mean there's a lot of different like sort of relationship situations or scenarios that you could go through yeah so i did really like these relationships that jk sort of molded can i mention two more things yes in the movie uh, regarding Newt and Jacob that I think also I appreciated because because the timing felt right and because the amount of change that they had on each other finally came out and in very feminine ways too, I might add. Once Jacob starts helping Newt gather the creatures, the first time he, because they've been, I think they've been calling each other by their last names until, until a certain point. Oh, okay. And once they have the big rhino thing packed into the, the briefcase, Jacob for the first time says, call me Jacob. Oh, yeah. Um, what's his... I already forgot what his last name was. Kowalski. Yeah, Kowalski. Because mm -hmm. Newt's been calling him Mr. Kowalski. Kowalski. Right, right. And so finally he, he extends his hand to Newt. And this is after like a really dramatic, like, <laughs> I almost just died. Um, but call me Newt, you know? Because right. suddenly it, doesn't, it didn't matter because he's like, yep, it's a done deal. I like, I like you and I, I want you to, you know, stay... There's a we now. Yeah, there's a we now. Which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. that part. <laughs> and then, yeah, Newt's totally like, he's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, hey, cool. he's into it. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, at that point, they feel more like 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 brotherly love because right. Jacob's now like following him into the briefcase together. You know, yeah, they're gonna go take care of the creatures now, and it's a it's a team he was sort of initiated into the magical world. <laughs> yeah, and survived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, my second point, we when we see Jacob needing to step into the rain so his memory can be wiped, right? <laughs> I love, yeah, this scene was so necessary for the core four. Yeah. Because they had been through a lot together. They had developed a family, and they all knew that. So to lose one, especially the one that felt like the heart of them all. Yeah. Maybe because he was, mu- I don't know, I don't know if being a muggle had anything to do with that. Because, yeah, my point is more about Newt's reaction to that. The line that Jacob gives to them all is, uh, you know, Newt only kept me around because uh <laughs> And then he's like, he stops and he's like, well, Newt, why did you keep me around? Totally. <laughs> and like, Newt's already like, I mean, he has like, a, he has a tear that we see. Yeah. I mean, this was so well acted because he's awkward, but he, but he knows that he, he's like, he loves Jacob now. Yeah. Like, he's like, damn it, I made a friend. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. Um. So he tells the truth. It's because, because I liked you. Yeah. I like you. Um. So and you're beautiful. my friend. <laughs> and <laughs> Jacob just says. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) which is so them. It is so them because you know what that means. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was a very nice moment where Newt has has completed his his feelings, too. Yeah. 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 Agreed. So I think this is a good place for us to wrap for this episode. Um, You ready? Wow, we're horrible at this. <laughs> I mean, I'm horrible. I'm so no, I was great. Right. I can't believe you said that. We're like almost at two hours. So this is a good <laughs> stopping place for the first episode. And then next episode, we'll pick up on uh, the Nero, what did you call it? Neoteric? Neoteric? Neoteric. Damn it. Neoteric bits. That sounds weird. I um, kind of like that. Neoteric bits. <laughs> Sounds like there's it's, bits of neoterics well, or something. <laughs> well, you know which how, bits are they? I was thinking more like you know how performers have bits. You know, this right, is yeah. my bit. You know? Oh yeah, right, I cool. know what you mean. But, it yeah. just sounds weird. Fine. Fine. Uh, Don't call it that. How about segment? So next episode we'll be doing the neoteric segment, right. and then we'll discuss two of the characters in a little bit more depth, and maybe give if we have some time to just do some final thoughts before we move on to our next part are we hanging up goodbye (laughs) we're hanging up now clink (laughs) i just want to say before we hang up that you can always visit us on twitter or if you can email us as well we're at bite the pen on both twitter you can find the email through twitter so just go to twitter it's easier and that we'll pick up next week 